invite you to open a Bible with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. Should be easy to find in our Bibles. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. The fourth book in our Bible. You need that open, if you will, to Numbers chapter 13. We will have some other passages of Scripture projected on the screen behind me at various times throughout our time together in God's Word, but I would love it if you would be ready to read with me from an open Bible in Numbers 13, and we'll be a little in 14, and we'll end in 15 before we're done. Thank you so much for being here this morning. What a beautiful morning we have been blessed with from our gracious Father in heaven. And it is a privilege, even as we've sung together this morning, to present ourselves as living sacrifices to Him. I missed being with you this past week, but it is my joy and privilege to be here with you this morning. We've been reading in our our daily Bible reading schedule through this book of Numbers in the Old Testament. In many ways, it can be a challenging book. It is full of a lot of numbers. But there are certain moments in this book that even if you haven't been reading along with us, we need to think about a lot of things that that, that we can learn from together. And, And that is true of this scene that we're going to focus in on from Numbers chapter 13. I want to give you a little bit of context before we get there because this really is a major turning point in Israel's history. They have been led by God through Moses out of the land of Egypt. They have experienced that exodus, right? And and it actually began with 80-year-old Moses in the Sinai wilderness, hearing from God as, as God spoke in the, the form of a burning bush. And if time allowed, we could go back. I, I've got just a few of the really relevant words here from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, where God promised, I, I've heard the cries of the descendants of Abraham. I have come down to deliver them, to deliver them out of their slavery in Egypt and to bring them to the land that I promised their forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so 80-year-old Moses goes down to Egypt and, and he has an initial interaction with Pharaoh and it doesn't go well. And Moses, you get a sense as you read, for instance, from Exodus chapter 6, that he's reeling a little bit because he's delivered God's message to the most powerful man on the planet. And that Pharaoh says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this Yahweh. I am who I am. And I will not let my slaves go free. Moses is, well, what, what do we do now? And God repeats. And he even adds in Exodus chapter 6, 
I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. This was not good news, or not new news, I should say. I, I, I want us to get that at the forefront of our minds. God had promised Abraham. He had promised Isaac. He had promised Jacob. It's all over his communications with Moses. And that leads us now to Numbers chapter 13. The children of Israel have been at Mount Sinai for well over a year. It's been two years since their exodus, they're, they're passing through the waters of the Red Sea. And in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am, here it is again, I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And so we could keep reading. We know there are 12 tribes of Israel, and so there are 12 spies selected. One man from each one of those tribes sent into this land that God is, in his own words, Giving them. Skip down with me to verse 17 of this chapter where we read that Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, if you were listening carefully, you didn't notice we didn't read some things. Moses does not tell these spies, go into the land and see whether or not you think we will be able to take it. Go into the land and see how we stack up against them and whether this is a fight we cannot win. No, he has heard from the Lord Himself multiple times, I have come down, I will deliver, I have delivered, I am bringing you to this land, a land that I am giving you. Moses sends spies up to see what sort of land this is. And so in verse 21, we read that they go up, they pass through all of these various territories. In verse 23, they come to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch. Listen to this. A branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. I like grapes. But I've never seen a cluster of grapes that big. 
You can't go down here to Meyer and, and find a cluster of grapes so big that you've got to attach it to a pole and carry it between two men. But this is the sword of abundant land. Remember, God had promised it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and they have a front row VIP pre-entrance glimpse into the abundance of this land. They spend 40 days up in that land, according to verse 25. And they return from spying the land. And they give what our narrator describes as a bad report. Now, it's not bad as far as what's in the land. I mean, they bring word in the latter part of verse 26 to all the congregation. They, they show them the, the fruit of the land. They tell them, we came into the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And look at these grapes. This, this, this is the fruit. However, The people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Look at verse 31. The men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up again the people for they're stronger than we are so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim and we seemed, I want you to listen carefully to this last verse of Numbers chapter 13. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Let's start there at the end. When we seem like grasshoppers, you know what that's like, right? I spent a good amount of time in West Virginia this past week and I would walk outside in the morning and, and I would just hear all sorts of wildlife. But I didn't really worry about anything the size of a horse crawling out from behind any of the trees and devouring me. They're just little bugs. And I had a, a nice clean car when I started driving back, but especially after dark. I mean, I'm guessing if you've driven after dark here within the last week or so, you know where I'm going, right? Your car may be absolutely spotless, but you start driving and you can just hear the thuds of those bugs. And, and they're annoying, right? They make a mess, but you're not worried about it. They're just little bitty bugs. And that's the way... The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, two or three million 
people. They walked through the waters of the Red Sea. They've been fed by bread that fell out of the heavens by God. They've been in this wilderness for two years. Water has flowed out of rocks. Their shoes haven't worn out. Their, their clothes are, are, are remaining intact. And now on the doorstep of the land, these, the bulk of the spies come back and say, compared to those people up in there, we're like grasshoppers. What did they mean by that? Well, they felt really easily overlooked. Taken for granted. Maybe, maybe it reminds us of that scene many years later when Samuel, the prophet of God, was sent to anoint the next king in Israel. And he knows what tribe he needs to look for, what clan within that tribe, what household. He, he knows the family that he's looking for. Israel's next king. And he comes to Jesse. Jesse has lots of sons. And eventually in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, we pick it up. The Lord says to Samuel, or in verse 6, when they came, all of these sons before Samuel. Here's the first one, Eliah. Firstborn of Jesse's family. And, and Samuel thinks to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is, this is the one. I mean, he, he looks like a king. You listen to what God says in verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel knows, well, it's not the firstborn. Maybe the secondborn. Nope, not him. Maybe the thirdborn. Not him. Maybe the fourthborn. I mean, he's just going right on down the line until he gets, in verse 11, no more sons in this line. He says to Father Jesse, are all of your sons here? I want you to listen to Jesse's response. Well, there, there does remain the youngest, but behold, look here. He's keeping the sheep. You're talking about my youngest, David? He's like the grasshopper of the family. He's the youngest one. He's, he's the runt of the whole bunch. And I, I got really excited when you said one of my sons was going to be the next king. But surely you're not talking about that one that I left out there watching the sheep. In the eyes of others, when we seem like grasshoppers, we, we, we may be easily overlooked and taken for granted. In fact, we may be looked down upon and, and mocked. We know that shortly after that episode in David's life, eventually Father Jesse sends David to go check on his brothers at the battlefield and for Weeks on end, Israel has been face to face with the Philistine armies. And this giant, speaking of giants in the land, 
This giant Goliath comes out day by day by day, taunting the armies of Israel, just begging for somebody to come out and face him in one-on-one combat. David's sent by his father. He, he, he arrives on the battlefield and that oldest brother, Eliab, when he sees little grasshopper David, he, his anger is kindled. He, he says to his youngest brother, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You you don't belong here, David. You're just like a little grasshopper. You're going to get stumped on out here. We know eventually David makes his way out there to the battlefield. He stands face to face before this giant, and the giant disdains him. He's, he, he's just a youth, ruddy and, and handsome in appearance. And the giant, Goliath, says, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his God, saying, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. I want you to listen to me this morning. When we seem like grasshoppers in the eyes of others, I mean, let's be honest. There are people who would look at us like that this morning. Do you really think all of this is doing any good? Do you really believe anybody is hearing, seeing? you really think there's a God out there that cares about any of this? Do you really believe that you as a, a, a gathering of people can really make any difference in this world? I mean, look at what, look at everything that is going on. And especially as we leave here and, and we're just individuals. I mean, I'm just a... And you fill in the blank. I, I'm just a farmer. I'm just a factory worker. I'm, I, I'm just a mid-level businessman. I'm, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mom. I'm, I'm just, a, you fill in the blank. What difference could I possibly make with all of the giants around us in 2020? Listen. When we seem like grasshoppers in the eyes of others, we have a choice to make. Will we look at ourselves like they look at us? And I'll tell you, if your Bible is still open there to Numbers chapter 13, why that's a really big deal. Because when we seem like grasshoppers, not just to others, but to ourselves, it's really easy for us to feel weak. We heard it there in Numbers 13 and verse 28. The people who dwell in that land, they're strong. Their cities are fortified. I mean, we don't even have a city out here. Much less a fortified city. 
It's very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. We, we, we saw all different sorts of, of nations within that land. And the more we look at the odds and the more weak that we feel, the more it seems as if we're not able. I mean, that's just what's said. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 31. I need your Bible still open there. Look at the next chapter, Numbers chapter 14. And let's, let's appreciate the fact this morning that when to ourselves we seem like grasshoppers, we feel weak, it seems as if we're, we're unable. Listen, we can really easily Discourage other people. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. It's these spies that have given this report. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. I want you to imagine that day, that night, what that cry of two or three million people in a dark, still quiet desert wilderness sounded like. Here they are lamenting the people weeping that night. All the people grumbled. I want you to imagine not one or a couple or a dozen or a few dozen or a hundred or a few hundred. We're talking about Thousands and thousands and thousands of people who come and they grumble against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. How did that start? That started with just two handfuls of discouraged, disillusioned people without God-given perspective who said, listen, there's no way. We're too weak. We're not able. And those ten men sucked the courage out of millions of people. Mom and dad, grandmother and grandfather, could I encourage you to be really careful? How you talk about the Lord in the eyes and the ears of young developing hearts who are just beginning to figure out, is all of this real? Can I really believe this? Do mom and dad really believe this makes a difference? I mean, here we are, we're singing together these songs. Is that just what we do on Sunday? Are we giving them mixed messages as we, we, we politely gather together in this room and then we go out and, and we grumble and complain about you fill in the blank? How easily 
we can be a discouragement to others. And when we are discouraged, how strong is the temptation to turn back? You look there at the end of verse 3. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Back to slavery. Back to bondage. I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. There are times that we all experience weaknesses, discouragements, disillusionments, disappointments. We're human. We live in a broken world. We're a part of a church family made up of human beings. But the answer, brothers and sisters, is never to go back to slavery. Never to go back to sin. Never to stop meditating on believing the promises of God and decide, you know what? I'm not able. I'm not sure it would be worth it. I think I'll go back into bondage. And if I do, who knows? Who else could be discouraged? could follow my footsteps back into bondage. Listen, when we seem like grasshoppers to others and when we seem like grasshoppers to ourselves, I'd suggest to you we're failing to see a fundamental truth. Here it is. The most important thing about me, the most important thing about you is not how you seem to others. Or even how you seem to yourself at times. I want you to listen carefully with me to the words of Jesus to real life brothers and sisters in Christ in the ancient city of Philadelphia. A light in the midst of a whole lot of darkness in Revelation 2 and 3. Lots of churches going through lots of struggles. But the Lord Himself says to those saints in Philadelphia, I'm the Holy One. I'm the True One. I have the keys of royalty. I'm the one who opens and no one will shut. I'm the one who shuts and no one will open. I know your works, child of God in Philadelphia. I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Listen to his next words. I know that you have but little power. You ever feel like that? I do. Jesus even says, I, I know your power is small. But you listen. The most important thing about you is not how you seem to others. The most important thing about you is not even how you seem to yourself. Jesus says, you've kept my word. You've not denied my name. He delights in them. We'll hear that word in just a moment. 
But it's worth asking, okay, well, what does the Lord delight in? What makes His heart just come alive? What, what does He look down upon and say, that's what I'm looking for. That man, that woman created in my image is making me proud by the way that they live. Regardless of how they seem in the eyes of those who have their minds set on earthly things. In what does the Lord delight? The prophet Samuel said it to King Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in... Listen, what delights the Lord when we obey Him? When we listen to Him? And what does the Lord delight? Well, David in Psalm 51, in the wake of really serious sins, comes to his right mind and says to the Lord, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And what does the Lord delight in? Well, Psalm 145 tells us his delight is not in the strength of the horse. His pleasure is not in the legs of a man. Our God is not impressed by tanks. Our God is not impressed by nuclear missiles. Our God is not impressed by fortified cities. You know what impresses your Creator? Those who hope in His steadfast love. You know what the Lord delights in? In the language of Jeremiah chapter 9, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Those things don't impress God. Which means if I chase after those things and I build my identity on those things, look at the degree I'm able to hang on my wall, look at what I'm able to drive, look at what I'm able to live in. God says, no, 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 no. You've missed the point altogether. You know what you ought to boast in? The fact that you know me. You understand me. That I don't see as man sees. I delight in steadfast love and justice and in righteousness. And so one more time, let's go back to Numbers chapter 13. You look with me at verse 30. When we seem like grasshoppers, but the Lord delights in us. We have everything we need. We skipped over Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30 where 10 of these spies are giving this bad report and, and Caleb, Caleb quiets the people. He's one of these spies. Caleb quiets the people before their leader Moses. And Caleb says what needs to be said. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able 
to overcome it. I want you to notice. He does not say, no, 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 no. There aren't any giants. There aren't any fortified cities. There's nothing to worry. He doesn't downplay the reality of obstacles. But he says, listen, we have everything we need. Look down at chapter 14 and verse 5. As thousands and thousands of Israelites grumble in front of Moses and Aaron, they fall on their faces before this whole assembly. And Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel. I want you to notice that. Moses and Aaron are on their faces on the ground. Caleb and Joshua stand up. And they say what needs to be said. The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Here's the key. Verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. The most important thing about you is not how you seem in the eyes of other people. The most important thing about you is not how puny or small or insignificant or weak you seem at times to yourself. The most important thing about you is whether or not your Creator delights in you. And you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You have squandered it just as surely as I have. But God says, listen. Know me. Learn to think like I think. Understand me. Understand what I treasure. And if you do that, you follow me. Listen, you don't rebel against me. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 9. Caleb and Joshua's message is only. Here's our choice. Here's the one thing we cannot afford to do. Don't rebel. Don't act as if God's promises can't be believed. Don't act as if you know better than God. Don't act as if your way is better than His. That was a long time ago. We're not in those sort of circumstances. Maybe some find Old Testament history more interesting than others. But what does this really have to do with us? Before we sing this song, encouraging you to think about your relationship with God, I want you to listen carefully with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, where that writer is talking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, listen, there's something here. Something happened here that we need to be aware of. We need to learn from. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Brothers, sisters, take care. 
you know, if you're walking out of these doors this morning, and someone very soberly stops you and says, on your way home, you really need to take care. I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. I might not even know what they're talking about, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd be a little more alert than I normally would. And here is the Holy Spirit of God through this writer saying, brothers and sisters, we need to take care. Well, why? Lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And do you know what he does to... To get us to understand what he's talking, he, he goes back in Hebrews 3 and he tells us this story from Numbers 13. He says in verse, verse 13, exhort one another every day. There is no doubt in my mind in a, an assembly this size, there are going to be people in this room who this week feel very weak. Very discouraged. Very deflated. And do you hear what we are being called to be for each other? Not sources of discouragement, not sparks of grumbling and complaining, but exhorters, encouragers. We can do this, not because we're awesome. Not, not because somehow we've discovered or innovated in some way that nobody else can figure out. It's because our God is awesome. Understand Him. Believe Him. Believe His promises. Who could you say that to this week? Who hasn't been able to be in an assembly like this for a good long time that perhaps is easily overlooked and, and needs to hear? Listen, you're not out there in the wilderness all by yourself. We are heaven bound together. Let's take as a church family Hebrews 3 verse 13 seriously this week. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we've come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He continues talking about this tragic example and he says, brothers and sisters, listen. Chapter 4, verse 2. Good news came to us just as to them. God is leading us home. But an entire generation missed out. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There are people in this room who are on their way to the promised land. There are people in this room who have never been closer to that promised land than they are this very morning. And the reason they're able to sing with such hope and confidence is because of their faith. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment a song encouraging you to be united with them by faith. Because you don't need to miss out. You don't have to miss out. The way those people did. 
I got to tell you, if two or three million people were grumbling and complaining and the only way they were alive is because I allowed them to be alive, I'm not sure I would have put up with that much longer. But it's remarkable to me that in the very next chapter, God says, not if, but when. I want you to tell the congregation of Israel, when you come into the land, which I'm giving you. We want that wind to be true of you. Not of some earthly kingdom, but of heaven itself. Relationship with God for all of eternity. And in order to do that, you need to share in Christ. You need to be in Christ. How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. Full of faith. Turning your back on the slavery of sin. Buried with Him in baptism so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life. Maybe there's someone right here, right now, who is ready to be united in faith with those of us who are on our way home. If we can help you in any way this morning, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and